stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman grew up in a service-oriented middle-class family as the oldest of two children. As a child, she was in lots of social circles and often saw the injustices of the world around her. In college, she decided to pursue law because she wanted to be one of the ones that rooted for the underdog. She thought she was destined to be a fighter, but as time passed, she realized she was more of a bridge builder. So she left legal litigation and moved into mediation. And then she became a mother and her whole perspective of the world and her career changed. Today, she is on a path to greatness as an entrepreneur, specializing in conflict resolution for corporate and family disputes. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Colleen Byers. Hi, Colleen. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Annette. It's great to be here. And we have such a limited time together. So let's get right in. So during your law school days, you learned to build resiliency muscles. So why was this? And how important is it for today's women leaders to become resilient? Yeah, law school is rigorous. It is really hard. And, you know, I think it's common to have the experience of a lot of really high achieving type A people who everybody graduated at the top of their college class. And now they're all my peers in, in law school. Um, so that's hard. It's, it's a challenge. It's stressful. Um, it's a completely different way of thinking. The pedagogy of teaching law is very different than anything that I had ever experienced before. And so I had to adapt. I had to um, learn how to fall down and, and get back up uh, when previously um, I pretty much had a a pretty nice rose petal path that I was walking on prior to that. And with that, tell me what you would advise other women regarding building their resiliency muscle and even to their children. Yeah. So one of the things that I realized when I became a mother and started sort of researching this helicopter parent concept and how I wanted to parent and how I wanted to raise my girls was to realize that I found myself constantly running out ahead of them, knocking down the roadblocks to clear the path for them. And then I realized that that's what my parents and grandparents had done for me. And they did it out of love. And that's where I was doing it from. But at the same time, it then didn't ever give me an opportunity to figure out how to go around an obstacle or how to jump over a hurdle. Um, and so I think it's really important that we, as women, struggle a little bit and build that resilience and build that confidence and self-esteem by figuring it out. So I, you know, I think of my young child who is really frustrated. She can't get her zipper on her jacket up. And many parents would swoop in and just say, here, let me do that for you. Let me take your pain away. Um, and I have to stop myself constantly. I sometimes have this image of literally sitting on my hands, like putting my hands under my legs and sitting on them to stop myself from intervening because I'm actually stealing the opportunity from her to learn and do it herself. And then when she gets that zipper herself and her whole face lights up and she just has this glow and confidence of, I did it. I worked hard and did it. 
it helps build that confidence and that resilience and strength to know that we, you know, we can face hard things and we can keep at it and succeed. So I'm going to stay with this just a little bit longer. I know I don't want to ride this too much, but there is something else I want to get your your perception on. You know, talking about now we as adult women, and that was great advice for mothers for sure. But now we as adult women, maybe we have had some of that easier path along the way as we were growing up. Maybe we were sheltered by our parents. But does society often do it to women even as adults? When things get a little hard, maybe we are often coddled a little bit and said, oh, it'll be okay. And, and somebody sweeps in that like the light of shining armor to save us. Do you see that sometimes? Yeah, I do see it. You know, certainly what comes to mind initially is like the Disney stories that were that sort of were infiltrating the culture of those who identify as females in, in this country, sort of identifying this shining knight coming in to save the damsel in distress. So I certainly see that. I think in in the legal um, industry, I haven't experienced that as much. I think maybe where I experienced it was male colleagues thinking that they're doing me a favor by not offering me an opportunity to go to an out-of-town deposition because they just assume that I don't want to be away from my children overnight. So I think there might be not as obvious, but some insidious examples of missed opportunities or opportunities not given equitably to women in corporate. Yeah. And I think that's a real nugget of wisdom there for sure. So you have recently left employment to start your own company. How much fear has this created within you? And has fear been something that you've dealt with as you've moved through your career? I think fear held me back um, for some periods of time. And I think imposter syndrome is something that a lot of women can relate to. And I certainly have experienced imposter syndrome and and constantly am, am fighting imposter syndrome. And I finally just got to the point where I realized that nobody else is going to look after me. I have to look out for myself. Nobody's going to say, well, how is Colleen doing? And and how can we make this easier or better or a better fit for Colleen? Like, no, I have to chart that course on my own because everybody's, you know, charting their own course and everyone has their own priorities and I need to be prioritizing my own needs and interests. It's also um, okay to admit to ourselves that we feel fear and not try to pretend that it doesn't exist because I think it absolutely exists, which is going to lead into the next question. So women often play small, yet so many are capable of playing big. So why do you think that women play small and what would you give as advice to women about playing big? I think going back to the culture, I think we're culturalized in this country from a young age to play small and to not take up space physically and mentally and just in every way. And I think the advice that I would give is to really practice resisting the patriarchy on that, right? Like, where is that coming from? Question, you know, who is benefiting by me playing small? And what is the worst thing that's going to happen here if I take up space and I use my voice and I play bigger? And how can I, um, for me, it was how can I help other people more, right? So connecting it to our higher 
mission and our higher calling in life really, I think, has helped me to play big. One of the things I have found, uh, Colleen, is that when we do tie ourselves to a higher purpose, we find courage that we didn't know we had. At least I have found that for myself. And I've seen it in other women as well. And it sounds like you have found the same for yourself. You know, um, we talked before about how yoga is such a strong influence in my life. And so one of the yogic philosophies is all about nonviolence towards other people and nonviolence toward yourself. And really that that is rooted in finding courage to put yourself first so that you can then go serve, right? Because how you talk to yourself and how you show up within your own small family unit is also how you're going to show up in the world right? And so, if you're not treating yourself well, then that's going to come out in your interactions with other people. Yeah, Or if you're allowing in your small family unit for someone to not treat you well, that will also be extended out into the world, won't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it surely does. So, during an earlier conversation, you shared that a trapeze artist analogy helped you understand how you might not be letting go to reach for something bigger. Tell our listeners about this. Yeah, I, I love this analogy. Again, it, it comes from my yogic texts. Um, and it's this, this concept of surrender and trust. And the author was explaining that I had seen beautiful trapeze artists, but I didn't ever really understand how it worked. I am not talented enough to be up on a, a trapeze swing. So had never experienced it myself, but apparently there's a point in time when they switch from one bar to the other, that they have to let go of the first bar before they're able to connect to the second bar. And the only way they're going to make that transfer, successfully grab that second bar, is to let go of the first one before they have the security of holding the second one. So there's this moment in time where they are literally suspended in air and they have to trust that they're going to make that connection. And that was just so important to help me with the mindset shift, right? Because I think as human beings, we want security and stability. Those are two very strong driving needs and there's nothing wrong with that. But to sort of own that and acknowledge it and then realize the ways in which that's holding us back is also really important, right? So I wanted to leap but my need for security and stability was such that I kept holding on to the first bar and then getting frustrated that I wasn't grabbing the second bar. And so it was this liberating concept of, well, you got to let go of the first bar in order to catch the second bar, which then sets you off soaring onto the next thing. And you can help increase the chances of being able to grab that second bar by doing some preparation, but it's never going to be that 100% feeling of safety that we all would love to have, is it? Right. That's right. So as an attorney in a male-dominated space, you often found no one was talking about what you were feeling and experiencing. So first, I want you to describe to our listeners what you were feeling and experiencing, and then what needs to happen from your perspective to support women like yourself who are blazing the trail in male-dominated spaces. Yeah, it's tough. You know, um, I think that we all could do a better job of inquiring what it's like to experience something other than our lived experience. And 
you know, there's all sorts of excuses we can make as to why people don't do that. But can you imagine a world in which we paused and actually genuinely cared about what somebody else's lived experience was that's different from ours? I mean, it would just be amazing. And so I think in a, in a male dominated industry, it's really important to have other women that you talk to, that you share experiences with. So it normalizes it for you. You don't feel like you're off on an island and you're the only one experiencing this. And then I think that mentoring and sponsorship is incredibly important. And I think that, you know, to the extent that men are able and willing to also resist the patriarchy and the traditional way of doing things and open doors for the incredibly brilliant female colleagues that they have that keep getting talked over in meetings or they keep getting passed up for big cases or promotions. I think that that's another helpful way that men can be allies. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like it happens often enough? No, there's always room for improvement. (laughs) Do you think that it doesn't happen often enough out of lack of awareness? Or do you think it's a competitive thing? Or why do you think that is? Because I don't think I'm going to I'm going to say this because I truly believe this. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. I don't think men have the intentions of hurting women. uh, In terms of their progression up the ladder. So I often wonder if it's a matter of uh, lack of awareness and maybe even ignorance of the behavior and the situations that they have created. Do you think that's true or do you think it is more of an intentional? Yeah, in my experience, it has not been intentional. In, in my experience, um, I've, had a fan- I've had a fantastic mentor in my professional career who has made sure that I'm sitting at the table and in the room. And that has made a huge difference. I think that sometimes it's just that human beings are individualistic human beings, right? We all have, we're each trying to meet our own needs and we're each trying to support our families or our careers. And sometimes it, it can be time consuming and in terms of energy, resources, brain power, to think about someone else, right? It's sort of, sort of this mentality of, you know, I'm going to run ahead. You cover me while I run ahead. And, you know, I'm going to turn around and cover you on, when you're running behind me, right? But it, it takes strategic thinking and thinking beyond just your own immediate needs to do that. And I, I think that sometimes that that's a lot for people, particularly in a pandemic when we are literally in survival mode. And we literally are prioritizing our own needs and the needs of our immediate family. So you told me that you are a recovering perfectionist. As this, how do you deal with failure, Colleen? Mm. Mm. (laughs) It, it It is hard. Recovering perfectionist certainly uh, does not mean that I am there. I have not arrived. Um, I think it is, it's a need to redefine the word failure, right? It is a shift in the perspective of failure. 
I was raised and culturalized to think that if I got something wrong, then, you know, it was black and white. That was, I got it wrong. I didn't do it well enough. And then I, nobody told me this, but then I, as a child, tied it to my self-worth, which is really where the damage is, right? But if instead, we as women could look at it as an opportunity, oh, okay, that's showing me where there's an opportunity for growth. That's showing me the next right pivot in my journey. That's showing me um, that that wasn't for me and maybe this other thing. Now that shines some light on this other direction, which really is going to light me up and help me serve the world. So if we could shift the mindset from bad and wrong to opportunity growth, I think that, that that's how I have dealt with it better over the most recent years. And, and I'm going to put in a little of my own personal perspective on this because I have also found I, I'm not a perfectionist, I think, to the extent that you are, but I'm certainly very driven. And I have found that in that drive, I have to be careful because I will personalize things. So whether it be a failure or whether it be a betrayal or whatever it is, instead of saying, well, thank goodness I found out now, or thank goodness it happened this way, as opposed to when I'm on this point in the journey, I tend to take it and do something that women are horrible at, and that is ruminating. We take it and we just toss it around our heads and beat it to death. And I've had to really work on that myself and try to reframe it, like you said, and say, okay, it's not about me. It's about my journey of growth. And what can I learn from that? Because that was put there by the universe as a stepping stone for me to be stronger for something else that's coming. That resonates. And as you were talking, I thought to myself, yeah, one of the reframing opportunities is that it's not about me or it's, it's not my fault, right? I think women tend to blame ourselves and we think of all the ways in which our actions or our decisions led to that particular quote unquote failure, right? Instead of acknowledging that there were probably all sorts of other factors at play, some of which we didn't have any control over. But immediately we just go to, well, it was a hundred percent all my poor choice or my poor execution, right? When that may be a piece of the pie, but again, something not to ruminate on, but to see, okay, well, thank you for that learning opportunity. I know that didn't work in that scenario. And now I'm even better prepared for the next step or the next journey or the next presentation or whatever it might be. I want to point out to those listening at this point that what uh, you and I are both describing here, Colleen, is not the typical behavior for men. I have seen men that are walking side by side with me in leadership and building companies and whatever, whether it's in the corporate or the entrepreneur space. And when they have a failure or or sense of betrayal, they don't ruminate and ride it for a month, you know, making themselves absolutely miserable. They'll get mad, they'll cuss, they'll fuss, and then they're on, they're moving on. And it, it really does hurt us when we do that to ourselves. It really does. And I think the flip side of that coin is that I regularly hear women, when they talk about an achievement or a success, I regularly hear them use the word we, when it was their success, right? I think we as women tend to 
you know, share the success with the team, but then we take full responsibility for anything that is less than success in our eyes. So we need to flip that, don't we? We need to own the success and share the failure. (laughs) That's right. That's right. For sure. So while we're talking about our counterparts as men in the world, you said that often men play a zero-sum business game, which means there's a winner and a loser. So I'm going to ask you as a woman that plays in a very male-dominated space, are you comfortable with this game? And what game can women play even better? To me, expanding the pie to have a win-win solution is the harder thing to do, but it's also the more impactful and powerful thing to do. I think that it takes more skill to expand the pie and to come up with creative solutions that are not just a winner and a loser. And I think that the nuances of that are tied very closely to empathy and listening and compassion and connecting with other human beings to figure out the underlying needs and interests, not just the positions that you can see of the surface. And that is what I think women excel at, because I think that we are excellent listeners. We are excellent perspective takers, and we are really good at getting underneath the surface and seeing what's really going on here, what really matters, so that we can then build from the ground up something that is lasting and sustainable and serves everyone. So I've got one last question for you. So when you became a mother, relationships and priorities changed for you. So share with us what that looked like and how it changed your career path. Yeah. So I feel like everything came into stark relief when I became a mother and I always knew that I wanted to stay on a career path. I I really enjoy working. I enjoy um, adult conversation. I enjoy helping people solve problems, but I also really wanted to be there for my children. And so it became really obvious to me that the time that I spent away from them needed to be high value time. And it needed to be things that were really aligned with what lights me up. And so that's really what drove my shift away from litigation and towards conflict resolution. Because instead of being sort of in the arena, I wanted to help be sort of the outside perspective that helped try to bring the parties together to solve their problems rather than just continuing to be gladiators and fight to the death. So was that a difficult change for you or did it just kind of flow? Because when you had children, you thought my whole priorities have changed. And you said you'd even rechanged your relationship with your husband, that everything changed. It was difficult at first because I was resisting the societal message that I think women in this day and age receive, which is that you should be all things to all people all the time. And that you should be the perfect mother, the perfect wife, and the perfect kick-ass attorney all at once, all at the same time. And I think that that's just a a fallacy, right? I just think it's just completely unattainable. And so if we're buying into that societal memo and we are literally like, exhausting ourselves to achieve it, you know, it's no wonder that we <laughs> we feel burned out and frustrated and unsuccessful because it's not something that's achievable. 
So it was hard to let go of that societal memo because it's really strong. So that was the hardest part. And then once I sort of realized that I cannot be all things to all people at all times, there's got to be an ebb and a flow. Then the hard part was figuring out, well, what does the path look like to achieve that? And letting myself have some trial and error, right? That's another thing that I struggle with and that I suspect other women struggle with, right? We want to do it perfectly. We want to have it all plotted out, safe, secure, clear, linear, but life is a winding road and we have to be willing to adapt and dodge and weave and sort of figure it out as we go. And it's, and it's hard. It's scary. It feels uncertain and out of control. But again, if we can be up on the trapeze and trust that it's, it's all going the right direction and, and we are supported and we are held, you know, then that's a really beautiful thing. Colleen, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Yeah, I'd love to just speak to the power of a village and that women supporting other women is really key to helping women go to the next level and really improving our world. Colleen, I appreciate you so much taking time. I know you're very busy with your new company and with motherhood and all the things that you are on a path to greatness on. And I just, I appreciate you being willing to share your wisdom. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm, I'm humbled and excited to learn and hear everybody else's wisdom as well. And Colleen is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. <laughs>